So take our Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2, and that's what the message is on today, a life and death prayer meeting. We did start the book of Daniel, a wonderful and powerful book from God's Word, and the theme of Daniel is God's sovereign rule, and we're going to see his sovereign rule over all of human history, especially as we get into Daniel chapter 2. These first 30 verses, I want us to see as the center of this Daniel's prayer in a life and death situation. Literally, his life was on the line. So as we get into this chapter, as we see the, the message today, a life and death prayer meeting. Have you ever gone to prayer meeting saying, this is life and death for me? Well, that was Daniel's prayer meeting in Babylon, in the heart of pagan Babylon a life-and-death prayer meeting. So, again, just to kind of put Daniel's life in perspective, we see his greatness in chapter 1, kind of in the middle of that chapter, verse 8, where it says what? Daniel purposed in his heart not to, to defile himself with the king's meat. So he, he purposed. That was the, that's in the heart of chapter 1. In the heart of chapter 2 is another reason for Daniel's greatness. He what? He prays. And both of these lead to great deliverances. In each of the first six chapters of Daniel, we see a mighty deliverance of God. And we're going to see Daniel delivered from death because God answered his prayer in this chapter. This chapter contains Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And next week we'll learn more about this and the interpretation. But this lays out God's program for the Gentile world, the period of Gentile supremacy, we could say. Jesus talked about the times of the Gentiles. And it begins with Nebuchadnezzar, and it stretches all the way through the tribulation until the coming of Christ's kingdom. So we are in the period of time today that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about. In this Daniel's time, this chapter lays out that outline of God's program. So it's amazing. That's why we believe the Word of God. So let's look at Daniel chapter 2. And I'd like for us to just read these two verses again. Could you just read with me? Verses 17 and 18. And here's the prayer meeting. Buried in the midst of Daniel chapter 2, and you almost miss it because it happens so fast. But here's his prayer meeting in these two verses, Daniel chapter 2, 17 and 18. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to, and these are their birth names, their identity that God gave to them, not their pagan names. He made known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And verse 18, can you read it with me together? It says, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then it says, then was the secret revealed unto Daniel after he prayed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you, God, that you are a God of great power and wisdom. You have a plan that you are working out on planet Earth. You are sovereign over all the nations. 
And in the midst of your sovereignty, though, we're not just to sit back and say, que sera, sera, what will be, will be, and we can't do anything about it. No, we, we don't take that attitude either because you called us to pray. And even as Daniel prayed, and things change when people pray. So, Lord, give us a heart to pray, even as Daniel and his four friends prayed in the heart of pagan Babylon. Here we are in the heart, in a sense, of pagan New York. Lord, we thank you. You touch our hearts with your love to follow Jesus, to love Jesus, and to call upon your name. Do a mighty work in all of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this chapter tells us of... Nebuchadnezzar having a dream. In the first verse says, when Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and it was early in his reign, in just the second year, he was so troubled he couldn't sleep. He was woken up, and he was troubled. Now, assume with me, I don't know what your view is in this, and I'll, I'll say a little more about it, but assume that Dan, Nebuchadnezzar remembered his dream. Can you please help me with that? I don't know what your view is on that, but assume he remembered his dream. And you remember he dreamed of a statue. And it says here that he dreamed dreams, his spirit was troubled. So he dreamed about the statue, and I believe the essence of his trouble on that statue is, who is this statue? And it's a strong possibility, my understanding now, that if you had that dream, I would think if I had that dream of a statue, I could be that statue it was a statue of a man. And it could well be Nebuchadnezzar thought he was that, it was troubled by the statue though, because that was a key element of the dream. The other key element of this dream was a stone. And the stone was cut out without hands. So he didn't know who cut the stone out. But the stone, what it does is it goes to the base of the statue and it knocks the feet and the whole statue crumbles and falls to dust, and it's blown away. And I believe he was troubled because he wants to know, not only who is the statue, thinking maybe, am I the statue? And then wondering, who is the stone? What is the stone? Who's behind the stone? Because the stone destroys the statue. So he's troubled. Who is the statue? What is the stone? And he's perhaps even thinking, is someone plotting my death? Is someone trying to destroy my kingdom, to overthrow my kingdom? Is that Because that's what the stone does. And the stone's mysterious. He's, he doesn't know who's behind it. It says in the interpretation, it was cut out without hands. And I want you to think about this because Daniel was troubled. And the amazing thing is, that was the essence of his trouble, this dream about the statue and the stone. And my premise is, is this is a great reason why so many people are troubled today. Because of the stone. Now, we live in a troubled world. It says he was troubled. His sleep break from him. Now, this dream, again, was about Nebuchadnezzar's life, 
And it would be about his life. It would be something about him. He didn't understand the dream that he had. But it was about his life, and it was about the future. So think about that. People have deep questions about what? About life. What am I here for? What's going on in my life? Why is this happening to me? So he's troubled about life. And he's troubled about what's to come. And he wants answers. And that's why people are troubled many times, even today. I thought that was very practical to think about. People are troubled with questions. They're searching for answers. Who can help them? You can. And I can. But what must we do? We must pray because life and death is at stake. So why must we pray life and death prayers? Because people are troubled in this world. We live in a troubled world. So Daniel's praying. We'll see for other reasons as well. But at least for one, because of this trouble to help and to answer Nebuchadnezzar's issues. People have deep questions about their life, about the statue, and about the stone. Do you know who the stone is? Do you know who the stone is? People have deep questions, and with their trouble and questions, what do many people do? They go to the people they think can find who has the answers. So who was surrounding Nebuchadnezzar, his cabinet, his administration? That's who he could go to for the answers. Well, they're all described in verse 2. If you can look there with me, people seek answers, but often in the wrong places. So who does Nebuchadnezzar have to go to to find answers for his questions in his cabinet? What are they described as? They're described as magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and Chaldeans. I call this Nebuchadnezzar's dream team. These are the people with gravitas. These are the professional class. This is the elite. These are the intellectuals. These are the most trained, educated people of his day. These are the scientists of his day. These are the people who take, and they do dream interpretation, but we rely on science. And I'm not making fun, but, you know, there's a scientist that everybody has really leaned on a lot during this particular pandemic. And his name, of course, is Dr. Fauci, okay, we know that. That is a household name now. But, you know, I look at these guys like the Dr. Fauci's of his day. I'm not picking on Dr. Fauci. I'm just trying to make a parallel of someone who has a lot of gravitas, a lot of, of respect of the people. Well, this was Nebuchadnezzar's dream team. They were entrenched. They were the establishment. They wielded great power and office. But this dream team dealt in black magic, horoscopes, spells, and incantations. So each one kind of had a specialty, and I'm sure there was some overlap as well in their understanding of how to find answers. But as I was able to do a little research on these, just to break them down very quickly, the magicians claimed answers from the gods and spirits. So they dealt into the spirit world. The name, the word itself, magician, and the Hebrew word, it literally comes from the word of writing and a stylus. So they were the engravers. They were the historians. But some also believe that 
they would put their pen on the paper and then trust the gods or the spirits to move their pen and to write. Does the devil do that sometimes? There's a game called the, the Ouija board that kind of like, so, so to speak, relies on that kind of thing. One of my favorite uh, bands when I was uh, a kid growing up, it was one of the most famous songs of all time. I know you'll know this song, Stairway to Heaven. When the, uh, was it Robert Plant who wrote that song or that the, the lead of Led Zeppelin? He said he just sat down and he just like wrote it out without even thinking. And the guy made millions and millions of dollars on that. But it, it was a, it's a demonic song, you know, when you actually look at the song itself. So the devil can lead people in, in what they're writing. So they claimed answers from the gods and the spirits. That's the magicians. Next we see the astrologers. They claimed answers from the what? From the stars and the horoscopes. And to this day, you can pick up a newspaper. You ever meet somebody and the first question they ask you, when were you born? And, of course, they want to know what your horror, I call it a horror, horror scope. <laughs> they want to know what your horror scope is. Because people think that your character and personality and future is all shaped based on your, whatever they call that, what do they call it? Your zodiac sign. Yeah. Astrologers. You know, God made the stars, and the Bible even talks about constellations. And I actually believe that in their, in their purest form, God put the gospel message in the stars in its purest form. But then Babylon completely corrupted the, the legitimate study of the stars and corrupted it into worshiping the stars and into, a, into paganism. I, I remember a few years ago, I went to the planetarium, and Tom Hanks was, was narrating a, a thing at the, at the planetarium right here at the Museum of Natural History, and he talked about how we look to the stars, how we, uh, the stars shape us, and the stars, cre the stars have creative power and things like I mean, it was as, almost as if... He was saying the stars had like godlike quality to them. I guess if you don't believe in God, that's what you can look to. Thank God we don't look to the stars. We look to the maker of the stars. But here were the astrologers. And then we see the sorcerers. They claimed answers from drugs and herbs and charms and spells. Hallucinogenic type drugs or other pharmaceuticals. Our Greek word for witchcraft in our New Testament is the word pharmakia, from which we get our word pharmacy. And I, sad to say, did experience a number of kinds of illegal drugs as a teenager. And I can tell you assuredly that the hallucinogens and the, the drugs, the street drugs of this world, open up your mind to the devil. And I believe these sorcerers dabbled in drugs with charms and spells and even hallucinogens to find answers. Then we have the Chaldeans. They trusted and found their answers just from human wisdom and philosophy. So Nebuchadnezzar had this troubling dream. He, these were the men he had to turn to. And no doubt he was thinking if anybody knows the answer, 
to my troubles, it's going to be these men. They, they, they say they know everything. They've been telling me these interpretations. They would know something that was this important. If my understanding is right, that this stone cut out from hands without hands, which was coming at the base of the statue, if, if Nebuchadnezzar was seeing himself as the statue and the stone as destroying the statue, maybe he was thinking, there's a plot against my life. And maybe it's somebody in my administration. And so I've got to also test them to see what they know and find out, what is the stone? Is the stone meant to destroy me? I've got to know. And back in this day, there was a lot of paranoia within the kings and the emperors because often there were plots against their lives. Actually, the people who, t who followed Nebuchadnezzar were assassinated. Uh, in the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar, um, uh, Nehemiah, what was his job? Nehemiah, remember Nehemiah? He was the king's cupbearer, which means he did what? He, he ate the food before the king because the king was so paranoid that somebody was going to try to poison him and kill him. See, so it's not unusual for a king to think somebody's out against me. Nebuchadnezzar is just very young in, in his rule of Babylon. And so perhaps he thinks this stone does represent an attack against him or his kingdom. And so maybe it's even coming from one of his inner cabinet here. That's that's happened in time, right? Hasn't, haven't also, often there been plots within the administration of somebody's uh, uh, rule and reign? So, maybe that's why Nebuchadnezzar is so troubled. Now, let me just say this before we move to the next point. In verse 4, we see in the book of Daniel, in the original writings, that he moves from using Hebrew to Aramaic. In verse 4, where he says, Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac. So that word Syriac is the Aramaic language. So why does Daniel switch from Hebrew to Aramaic at this point and all the way through to chapter 7? And I believe also the book of Ezra is written in Aramaic. I and I want to correct something. If I think I said it incorrect last time that only Daniel is written in Aramaic. A portion of the book of Ezra is as well. But Aramaic was the commercial and international language of the nations. It was the language of culture and learning at this time. And so this section deals with Gentile nations, and so it's written in Aramaic and not in Hebrew, from chapter 2, verse 4, all the way through chapter 7. So apply this to yourself for just a moment, and then we'll get to the next point. Think about your own life. Think about people around you. Your parents, your brothers, your sister, your coworkers. Are they troubled? Are they looking for answers? Where are they going for answers? You're there. I want to challenge you to pray. Maybe they'll come to you with one of their troubles and issues. Maybe they'll even have, has anyone, people have actually come to me with a dream that they've had. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he wanted help with that dream. It could be that, but it could be any kind of a trouble they're going through. Maybe they have a financial trouble. Maybe the, their child died and has cancer. Maybe they're just going through a divorce. Maybe they've lost their job. There's all kinds of trouble. There's a skyrocketing of 
financial troubles with the pandemic. There's a, skyrock, a, a skyrocketing of, of depression, of suicide, of abuse going on. People have troubles today. They need answers. We're the people of God. We can go to God in prayer and pray to Him as if life and death is on the line, and it is. So that's the challenge. The second thing we see is that we face impossible dangers. So Nebuchadnezzar is so disturbed with his dream. We see his cruelty come out. Because he tells his cabinet, and I kind of love this narrative between Nebuchadnezzar and his dream team. In verse 2, he says, it says, the king commanded to call these different men to show the king his dreams. They came and stood before the king. So he's like, tell me my dream. And then in verse 4, they say, okay, you tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 5 and 6, that's not the way we're playing this. I'm on to you guys. And I want you, if you're really legit, and you're really in the know, and you really have all this ability to come up with all the great answers of life, I want you to tell me the dream and give me the interpretation. That, that, that's the way we're going to play this if you would like to keep your life. If you don't do that, he said, I'm going to kill you. But it's not going to be in a nice way. It's not going to be a painless death. I'm going to pull you apart one limb at a time. <laughs> Ouch. That's not the way I'd want to die. But that's what he says. Cut in pieces in the King James. Other translations say, pulled apart limb from limb. Can you imagine dying that way? Ouch. Take your finger, take your hand, take your arm. Take your leg, you know, just until you bleed out. So the dream team says, but Nebuchadnezzar, we have a really better idea. Just tell us the dream. <laughs> and we'll give you the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar says, I don't trust you. You're corrupt liars. Verse number nine. You prepared for me corrupt and lying words. It's like Nebuchadnezzar's onto their schemes. And then they say, they complain. What's the complaint? In verse 11, they said, this rare thing ain't fair. <laughs> says, this is a rare thing you're asking. Nobody has ever done this before. You're being unreasonable, Nebuchadnezzar. This isn't fair. And, the Nebuch and Nebuchadnezzar says, I don't care whether you think it's fair. I'm the king. And, it's, and then it says he was angry and very furious. Do you think Nebuchadnezzar trusted these men? I don't think he trusted them at all. And I, I believe, now, I did not read this in a book, and you probably never thought about it. I don't know, maybe you've thought about it before, but I thought pretty heavily about it. And it hit me, and I got very excited about it, just thinking about this. When Nebuchadnezzar saw that stone smashing the statue, he was wondering if one of these people in his cabinet, it's a possibility, was that stone. And they're trying to, they're plotting his assassination. And he wants to know who's the stone. And I believe 
in his fury and anger, he doesn't trust them. So to me, I see that they could be plotting his death. He, does, he has no trust in them. They're lying, corrupt people. And now he wants to kill every one of them. Why would he want to kill every one of them? Because one of them might want to put him to death. And he doesn't know which one. So maybe he's trying to smoke out the plotter. Or maybe get somebody else to turn against the one who's plotting. Maybe. I'm just using my imagination on the text. But Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. In his cruelty now, he wants to kill all of his cabinet. Now, I don't believe, there's, and there's also a little controversy, did Nebuchadnezzar forget his dream or not? And often the, the ones who say he forgot his dream, look, look at verse 5 where the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the thing is gone from me. If you will not make known to me the dream with the interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces. So the thing is gone from me. That Some say that, you know, I, I can't remember the dream anymore. I don't believe at all he forgot the dream. The thing is gone from me is the command that you have to tell me the dream and the interpretation. You could say whatever you want. You could tell me how unreasonable and unfair I am. I don't care. That's the way they're playing this out. That's, the, that, that's how I understand it. So that's the thing. The thing that's gone from Nebuchadnezzar isn't the dream that he forgot. It's the command that he's made. Now, why do I say that? Because the dream troubled him. And it wouldn't have troubled him if he had forgotten it. The reason it troubled him is because he remembered it. That's one reason. The other reason I would say is if he forgot the dream... And he says, I forgot the dream. Tell me the dream and the interpretation. What would they do? What would his dream team do? They'd make up a dream. They'd make up interpretations. They'd make up a dream. They could say whatever they want. But they can't make up a dream if Nebuchadnezzar knows the dream because then they, they can't then make up an interpretation. It, ha it would have to match the dream. So if they had forgotten the dream, if Nebuchadnezzar had forgotten the dream, he could have easily... The, the, the dream team could have easily made one up themselves, but they, they didn't because he didn't forget the dream. Another, the, the third reason I would say why Nebuchadnezzar didn't forget the dream is, to me, the, the argument back and forth, they're pleading with Nebuchadnezzar, tell, tell us the dream, because he did remember it. But he's saying, no, I'm not going to tell you the dream. You're going to tell me the dream and the interpretation, because I want to see if you guys are legit and for real. So life has danger in it, and Daniel's life is now on the line because Daniel was a part of this cabinet of wise men and advisors, and it says in verse 13, they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain as well. So Daniel could well be pulled in pieces and end up in death if this dream and interpretation are not discovered. We live in a cruel world. And not only that, we live in a world of men corrupt, men who are corrupt. And that's in verse 9, where Nebuchadnezzar says, you have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak 
before me. Now, I'm not trying to get you to be cynical and negative toward the people around you, because many people are, are very nice, but we're still all sinners, and we're living in a dangerous world because often people are cruel. People are abusive in this life. People are murderous. People are lying uh, many times, and we have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And even Nebuchadnezzar, cruel Nebuchadnezzar, says, you guys are corrupt. So here's the cruel one who wants to murder his cabinet, telling these guys they're corrupt. How's that called the kettle black, they say. But look at Daniel chapter 6, verse 4. Because this verse describes Daniel's character. And this word corrupt is actually used in this verse twice. It's not translated corrupt, but it's the same Aramaic word. Then chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor, and what's the next word? Fault. That's the word. No corruption in Daniel. There was no fault in Daniel. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault or corruption found in him. So that word fault is twice in that verse is the same word corrupt. So the very word that describes the cabinet of Nebuchadnezzar was not found in Daniel. He was without fault. He was truly, he was a man you could trust. And that's that's the kind of people that we want to be. See, we face impossible dangers. So we need to go to God in prayer. And that's what Daniel is going to do in this moment of impossibility. But through it all, Daniel, even though he was on this cabinet of corrupt people, he wasn't drawn into it. He still was distinct from it. That's not easy for us to do in this world, but that's our challenge. We're in Christ. We're to live out the love of Jesus Christ, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the holiness of Jesus Christ in our own lives. And how has that happened? Through prayer. Oh, my. Silence your phones. Sorry, that's my phone. You know what? The thing was on. It was silent. You know, it was the office phone. Maybe Uh, that rings no matter what. So, people around you are going to be facing danger. Let's apply it this way. People around you are in danger. Maybe they've been treated cruelly. Maybe they've been abused. Maybe they've been lied to. Maybe they're in a situation where they feel like, I, I, don't, I, I can't trust anybody. You know, sometimes people are like, in a situation like, I don't know who to trust. We need to be people of prayer so that people could come to us and trust that our word to them will be true, will be honest, will be loving, will be for truly their best uh, with their benefit in mind. So I want us to go to this scripture in Psalm 107 because it's through prayer that we face the impossible dangers and confront the dangers of this life. And I want us to go to Psalm 107, please. And in verses 19 through 21, it says in Psalm 107, 19, it says, Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. Now, this is Daniel. He's going to die. He's going to be pulled in pieces. 
He's gonna, but he's going to cry to the Lord in his trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. Daniel will be saved. He sent his word, and that's what God is going to do for Daniel. He's going to send his word and bring healing and deliver them from their destruction. He won't be destroyed because he cried, and God is going to send his word. You know, and here's the thing. If you're in a really difficult situation, in a dangerous situation, go to God in prayer. And, you know, have you ever gotten on your knees and you start to pray and a Bible verse comes into your mind? God gives you a a word. That's God giving you a word at that moment. So if he puts a word in your mind, get your Bible, open it up, pray over that scripture, cry out to God with that scripture in mind. I believe that's how God speaks to us, even as we're praying. He puts his word. It says, so as we cry, verse 19, he sends his word. And his word brings healing and deliverance. And then it results in praising God. And that's what we're going to see in Daniel right there. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. And there's the verse right there. Can we say it together? Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them, delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. The third point is this, then, as we now go to the third point. What do we do? In life and death situations, we pray. And we ought to have a, an attitude of, this is life and death, man. I need to get to God. I need to cry out to God. I need his answer or else I can't make it through this situation. And Daniel was in a, a, a situation just like that. And so Daniel prays uh, in this situation because he, we live in a troubled world. We face impossible uh, dangers. And thirdly, because we serve an awesome God. We serve an awesome God. So in verses 14 through 16, we see Daniel's faith. And his faith was uncomplaining. Now remember we talked about how the the magicians in them, they they were like complaining. This isn't fair. Daniel doesn't, when he hears the king's decree, he doesn't say, that's not fair. He says, wow, that's pretty hasty. But let, but he says, show me, give me some time. Verse 16. Look at verse 16. Here's Daniel's audacious faith, the audacity of his faith. In verse 16, Daniel went in, desired of the king that he would give him time, that he would show the king the interpretation. Daniel says, give me time, and I will give you the interpretation. But he needed time to do what? What did he want time to do? To pray. That's right. That's faith in action. Daniel's faith. Then we see Daniel's focus. His focus was in praying to the God of mercy. And we see that in verse 18. So Daniel went into his house, and here's the prayer meeting. Can you just imagine these four teenagers? They're in this pagan land. They're all by themselves. Their mommies and daddies aren't there. They have kind of freedom. You know, they're kind of like kids off of college. You know, do kids off of college for the first time says, hey, let's have a prayer meeting. Is that naturally what they do? Oh, but Daniel was like off on his own, away from parents. And he says, let's pray. And here's these four young men crying out to God. It says that they would desire mercy 
of the God of heaven. They weren't looking for the herbs. They were looking to the Lord. They weren't looking to the stars. They were looking to the Creator for mercy. And then was the secret revealed. I like that because the dream was not revealed until they prayed. So what was revealed to Daniel at this point? Nebuchadnezzar's dream. What was the essence of Nebuchadnezzar's dream? In two words. A statue and a stone. Okay, you got to remember that. A statue and a stone. Daniel has the, the dream and the interpretation at this point. Then was the secret of the revealed in the night vision. So God gave to Daniel, think of this, God gave to Daniel the same vision of the statue and the stone that Nebuchadnezzar had. And so Daniel praises the God of might. Blessed be the God of heaven. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and might are his. So he prayed to the God of mercy, desiring mercy, and now he praises the God of wisdom and might, the God of might. Now, we could call this a psalm. There are many psalms of David. This is a psalm of Daniel. It says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. Daniel shows he knows the word of God. He's quoting different scriptures here, like Psalm 113, verse 2. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth forevermore. Some say Daniel quoted up to 15 Old Testament scriptures in this brief word of praise that he gives. But Daniel praises the God of might, and he says four things here in this praise. And you can just jot these down quickly. We're going to go over them fast, but look at verse 21. He changes the times and seasons. Now, this isn't just talking about the year moving from, you know, summer to fall into winter. He's not talking about the seasons like that. But literally, God governs the events of human history. I believe that's what he's saying. When he says God changes the times, the seasons of, of kingdoms coming and going. You know, at one time, Egypt was the world power. At one time, Greece was the world. At one time, Italy was the world power. No more. Now, you know, I guess the United States is the superpower. But for how long? God can change the times and the seasons, the events. He is God over human history, over political powers. He removes kings and he sets up kings. And we see them come and go every four years here. Thank, thank the Lord we don't have a king. Amen. Aren't you glad we don't have a king? Somebody who's there for the for the his whole life. Over political powers, he gives human wisdom. He gives wisdom to the wise. You know, wisdom is not something to achieve as much as to receive by his grace. He giveth wisdom, it says. He gives wisdom. So if any man lack wisdom, do what? Ask of God, and he will give you wisdom. So we don't achieve wisdom. We receive wisdom as a gift. Jesus Christ is wisdom. And you know, at this point, when he says he gives wisdom, you know what Daniel has? Daniel has wisdom. When he receives the vision and the understanding of it, he, he understands human history. He understands the unfolding of human history, culminating in what? The coming of the stone. 
Jesus Christ and the establishing of his kingdom. So Daniel has this wisdom and he reveals secrets. This was a secret at this point. God revealed it to Daniel. He reveals the deep and the secret things. Like we sang this morning, the word of God lights the darkest path. Nebuchadnezzar was in darkness. Daniel prayed in the, in the darkness of Babylon and light shone. And then lastly, so he praises our God of might. For what? He's powerful over, say him with me, human history, political powers, human wisdom, revealing secret things. And then lastly, we see Daniel's faith. He believed God was going to give him the interpretation. Daniel's focus, he prayed to the God of heaven and praised him. And thirdly, we see Daniel's faithfulness. Now, how was Daniel faithful? Look at verse 24. Just look at verse 24. How does Daniel show his faithfulness? What is, what's his attitude toward the other wise men? Nebuchadnezzar has him on, you know, the chopping block. He's going to kill him. But Daniel says what? He says, don't kill him. He, he intercedes for them. That's different for his day. So Daniel pleads for their lives, showing he's a man of compassion. You know, we're living in this cruel world. We need to keep compassion, keep love of Jesus. And then Daniel, in verse 28 and toward the end of the text of our passage today, look at verse 28 of Daniel chapter 2. It says, but there's a God in heaven that reveals secrets and makes known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Now that phrase, latter days, is very interesting here. It speaks of literally all those things that relate to the end times culminating in the coming of Jesus Christ. That's what that phrase, latter days, refers to. And then he says, your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed are these. As for thee, O king, your thoughts came into, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets makes known to thee what shall come to pass. And as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. Now that's different. Is Daniel taking credit or is he giving God praise? Yeah, he's giving God praise. So you see, that's his faithfulness to intercede for the other men in compassion and to give God the praise and the glory. It isn't in me, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king. <clears throat> Daniel's saying, basically, I'm just a tool in your hand. So Daniel knows who, Daniel knows what the stone is. And it's no one in Nebuchadnezzar's cabinet. And the stone actually isn't going to topple his kingdom anytime soon. Daniel now understands the whole dream and he'll tell Nebuchadnezzar that dream. But as I close, I want us to go to Matthew chapter 21 and verse 44. If we could all please turn there. Because this question that may have been the most troubling question to Nebuchadnezzar 
about this dream is, what is this stone? Who is this stone? The stone was cut out without hands. I don't know who's behind the stone. It's just coming and then it's destroying the statue. What is the stone? You know who the stone is, right? Who's the stone? The stone is Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom. We'll see that again next week. But look at Matthew chapter 21. And Jesus reveals himself as the stone. In Matthew chapter 21, look please at verse 42, and we'll go up to verse 44. Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. In other words, Jesus Christ is the foundation stone. He's the one upon which to build your life, but he's been rejected by many. Okay, verse 43, therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Now, what does he mean? I believe my, my take on this verse, my understanding is this. Fall on Jesus Christ, the foundation stone, in reliance and independence, and you will be broken of your sin, of your pride, of your hate, of your fear. Fall on Christ. Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken and then healed and then raised. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourn over your sin. Blessed are they who will fall on this stone and are broken for their sins. And then your life will be built up on him, the true foundation stone. But then he says, but on whomsoever it shall fall. Now that's the stone coming against the image, the statue, and disintegrating it. That's Christ coming in judgment. That's com Christ coming in fiery wrath. Whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. That is, he will come as a judge. So, who is the stone? Jesus Christ. What will you do with the stone? Will you receive him and build your life upon him? Or will he fall on you and bring destruction because of your unbelief. Make sure you're saved. You must be born again. And then follow him with your whole life. The ultimate cause of trouble in this world is people don't know who the stone is. The ultimate cause of the dangers and destruction the people face and that Daniel was even experiencing, people don't know who the stone is. But we know who the stone is. So pray and ask God for giving you opportunities to share the power of the stone of Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom with others. Let's pray. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, thank you for this day now. Thank you for all your goodness. Lord, we live in a troubled world. There's trouble all around. How we need you, God that we can help those who are feeling devastated or distressed. Give us wisdom. Give us love, the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, we live in a dangerous world, impossible dangers. Many people are facing these dangers today. God, keep us safe. 
And sometimes even as Daniel faced the danger, but through prayer you delivered him. So God, maybe your people are even facing danger today. We pray unto you, Lord, bring a mighty deliverance. Send your word and deliver us, we pray. Thank you that we serve you, an awesome God. So Lord, give us a heart to to pray and to be involved in even prayer meetings and to realize that life and death is in the balance in this world of trouble and danger. Thank you that we can seek you, our awesome God. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.